right, party people. That's the sounds of Oleander. And that's very, very important to who's going to be on tonight, the lead singer, Thomas Flowers. But that right there is Oleander. We are MMA, BJJ, and life. I'm your host, DJ Sam Marco, along with my intrepid co-host, Dr. Will Wu of Cal State Long Beach Motor Control and... Learning. Thank you so much. At least somebody's learning. Uh, And, of course... (laughs) We can never, ever forget my man, the bass player, the sociology studying, the Cleveland State product, and the U.S. Special Envoy to Kazakhstan, Nick Kazono, the heavy metal bass player. How you doing, baby? Good. I'm good. How y'all doing? Jiu-Jitsu brothers, one and all. And you notice right there, Nick didn't leave me hanging that time, man. No, no. He didn't let you drown a little bit. Thank you, Nick. He got you right away. Thank you, Nick. I don't know. I thought I didn't leave you hanging last time. <laughs> I don't want to be doing any Sylvester Stallone business, man, with uh, cliffhanger and all that stuff, man. If I if I'm like, yo, Nick, my harness, man. I think this this chalk is no good. I want you to I want you to belay me up, man. Okay, I'm not doing any free solo Alex Honnold stuff. <laughs> you feel me, Holmes? I feel you. I feel okay. you. Now, me and Will, we're gonna get to Giannis Antetokounmpo on the Lakers later. But right now, we're going to introduce another jiu-jitsu brother of ours. So we're, when we when we come back, we're going to be back with who, Nick? Thomas Flowers from the band Oleander. Talk to me, baby. A purple belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu? Purple belt, lead singer. Ooh, he that's, is, That's man, pretty legit. badass. Yes, and Will has seen him play live in public, if you will. Ooh, that's that's like an that. ode. That's an ode to Alexi Ooh, Old, my man yeah. Alexi. What's up, Holmes? <laughs> Alexi. All right. So anyway, um, so we'll be right back on MMA BJJ in Life with Thomas Flowers of Oleander. I can't take this anymore, and I'm almost pretty sure I've been here before. I can't take this any longer. I won't heal until I'm stronger. And welcome back to MMA BJJ and Life. I'm your host, DJ San Marco, and we will have some Oleander bumper music in there, but we are back with the lead singer of Oleander, our training partner from Gracie Baja, the one, the only, Thomas Flowers. What's up, Holmes? What is going on, dude? It's been way too long. It's way been way too, too long. long. It's been way too long. I will come back after the COVID is over. I'll come back on one of my West Coast trips uh, for work so that you guys can beat me up at the academy. <laughs> hey, DJ, you got to describe. No one can see this, so you're going to have to paint the picture. To... Oh, I'm bald. Oh, no, 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 no. Something else? Okay. What What is Tom Flowers wearing right Tom. now? Oh, so... Tom Flowers is basically doing his best incarnation of John Donaher, who has been seen at weddings, at funerals, and out at bars in NYC with a rash guard on. Okay, so Tom, what's up, man? Representing, man, Dude, Gracie Baja. A, I, a, I just got done training, and B, okay. I sleep in this thing. This is this is my pajamas. I go to bed. I'm going to bed after this podcast. There you go. All right, Will. Dude, DJ, it's no joke that he sleeps in jujitsu stuff because we've had many conversations where he just kind of sneaks in. Hey guys, like, do you ever, do you ever like 
find yourself sleeping in your jujitsu pants. And we're and you're like, oh, no, Tom, I don't. What? And I guess (laughs) my first my first pair of gi pants are so comfortable that they've been washed so many times that they're my gym jams. I sleep in them. But you know the Sex Pistols went to bed commando, don't you, Thomas? Don't you know that, brother? I'm not wearing anything under those ski bottoms, but hey. Oh, okay. All right. There we go. Now we're working. Now we're talking. All right. You and Johnny Rotten can hang out, man. So uh, at this point, uh, first of all, really, Tom, because it was, uh, you know, when we were at Gracie Academy, um, I was the annoying guy that was always trying to talk rock and roll with you when you were trying to learn jiu-jitsu. You remember that, right? I wouldn't say you were annoying, dude, at all. That oh, was awesome. Thank you. Thank you. I was a big fan of your hair. You know about that. So I would usually <laughs> comment on your hair. But that's, you know, that's what bald people do. Nick is going to start doing the same thing now that he's bald. So uh, <laughs> I want to introduce you to my uh, one of my co-hosts here, Tom. Uh, back at Gracie, Helsing Gracie, Cleveland was my, believe it or not, third academy. <laughs> and yes, I know. They got a name for people like you, TJ. Well, it's moving. You know, when you move, when I moved to Melbourne, okay, I started in Brazil at Kimura. And after Kimura, when I moved to Melbourne, Florida, there was one black belt for 100 miles. And that was Edgar Dutra at uh, Brazilian Top Team. And then I moved to Cleveland where I met Nick. So in Cleveland, Nick and I trained at Helsing Gracie. He's purple belt there. And then he Dude. moved to start uh, to uh, supercharge his rock and roll career to California uh, and start training at Brea Jiu-Jitsu with Dan Lukart. Um, he's a sociology major. He's a heavy metal bass player. Nick, take it away, my brother. Oh, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you for the, <laughs> yeah, for all that. <laughs> and he was the U.S. Special Envoy to Kazakhstan, but that's beside the point. Anyway. That's beside the point, yeah. Nice. No, definitely cool to have you on, Tom, and everything. And uh, when uh, Will and mentioned that you were interested in being on here, I, I was pretty pumped because, yeah, I remember, you know, Oriander from, uh, you know, in the 90s and everything. I grew up with, uh, you know, 90s sort of alternative rock and everything, so... I went Me back too. and listened. Yeah, so I went back and listened to uh, you know, the one, the one hit that you guys, the one big one or whatever that kind of launched you guys or whatever. Why I'm here and everything. And yeah. I listened to that song and, it, and oh man, it, it brought me back to man the, some good times. Man, it's it, it's funny that DJ brings up Florida because I remember like the first time we you know whenever you're crossing the country as a band for the first time. Yeah. You're hitting all these cities, and Florida was a big market for us. You, mm-hmm. you know, we very unexpected, but we we. Can't, I remember we were driving all the way across country. We we get to Florida. We're going into Orlando. Our song is on the radio. We're like, holy cow, we've arrived! And as soon as it it wraps up, they go, "That was old Orleander with Why Am I Here?" <laughs> and we just look at each other like. <laughs> Leander with why am i here? <laughs> and, it, and it was all downhill from there pal. oh yeah downhill from that, there i think you've just contextualized the entirety of the state in literally one sentence <laughs> <laughs> we'll oh just, man so you played I'm, you played uh, heavy metal bass right heavy metal bass yeah Sweet, yeah I, yeah so yeah i got you know i got into metal music and you know, played in bands in Cleveland, and then my band in Cleveland wanted to sort of move to California and everything, and like kind of try to make it out there. And you know, we tried to do it out there and everything, and then you know, I got burnt out and 
all that yeah. fun stuff. One of my favorite places to play in in uh, Cleveland was the Grog Shop. Are you familiar it's with still the Grog there. Shop? It's still there. Oh, dude. Yeah. It's like one of those legendary old, like, yeah. just, oh, yeah. it's just great, you know, yeah. my kind of place, you know. It's awesome. I've seen, yeah, I've seen a ton of great bands there. And yeah, it's still, yeah. from what I gathered, I don't know about the whole COVID thing, but, you know, yeah, it's still there. You know, they moved down the street uh, and it's the same old, like, you know you never know if you're gonna get thrown up on or robbed or if you're gonna have a good show (laughs) or all the above i mean that's that's the ticket right there yeah and before we (laughs) dive into uh your career uh tom and being uh that cleveland is the uh you know where the rock center for rock and roll the rock and roll hall of fame resides uh can i get your reaction to the loss of eddie van halen and perhaps any influence if any that he had on you or, or their band well, I mean, my immediate reaction is always, you know, we've lost a lot of significantly, you know, Im- Im- you know, important people over the last few years. When you take into consideration Chris Cornell, Chester Bennington, and John Prine, you've got so many names. Yeah. You know, um, one a big hit for me was um, singer of STP, man. You yeah. know, and and Scott. The thing about Eddie is. Yeah, Scott. Scott the thing about SD, the thing about Eddie that the tough one for me is is you know not the fact that we all have our time, but he, man, throat cancer. You know what I mean? It's like oh, what he must have been going through in those final months and and days. You know, was something as debilitating as that. I mean, look, I I don't know of one guitar player, singer, songwriter that wasn't influenced by Van Halen at some point. You know, that wasn't totally playing air guitar in his bedroom to a Van Halen song early days, like Cathedral, for example. You know what I mean? So it's, it's just another 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 big sad loss, you know, for, for the world of rock and roll, for sure. And I'll, I'll jump out after this, but I'll just say what Will and Nick have heard me say this before. A lot of times, like, a moment happens in music when there's a first. I think the Beatles, like, were sort of a first... And then uh, at some point, like in 68, I think when Led Zeppelin came on the scene, I think people were like, wow, I haven't heard anything. Like, you know what I mean? Uh, because of how heavy they were to some extent. And then when uh, I heard Van Halen in either 78 or 79, and I was like, I've never heard anything that sounds like that. Like that was my reaction to Van Halen. That was just amazing and so powerful. Uh, recorded live, apparently that uh, at least uh, the vocal tracks were laid down after, but that those uh, songs from Van Halen One were laid laid down live uh, in the studio, just in one, you know. So uh, I yeah, don't know. That was, that was that was back in the day when you actually had to be talented when you recorded. <laughs> by the time yeah. by the time they got to Orleander with Why Am I Here, <laughs> we uh, you know we we had software programming that could make us sound better than we actually are. So I appreciated the uh, the jump in technology by by that time. That's All right, thing. All right, Nick, yeah. I'm stepping off. Go ahead, brother. <laughs> That's the thing. Yeah, there's so much has changed in the music industry, and I wanted to ask you, you know, when you guys got signed to you i think what universal right for yeah your first album and everything like yeah you know the the music music industry was vastly different uh during like you know late 90s even you know 90s in general compared to, to what it is today you know what, what like to you i mean based on you know all of your experiences and everything what was you know the major difference when you guys 
during during your time when you guys were assigned to Universal to maybe like the last like five, six years? You know, what was well, like... you, you know, I mean, we so we were we we had an interesting trajectory, right? We were literally the last band on the planet that any human being thought would ever make it into the music industry. I mean, every single person in my life from the moment I picked up a guitar and said, I'm going to do this was like, please stay in school, get a good job and stop doing this. And, you know, we were that little band that could. And, you know, we were literally passed on by every record label twice. Mm-hmm. You know, we just kept chugging along. And once we finally, we finally found success at a local radio station back in the day when, when radio programmers still had the flexibility to break, break bands. Okay. And, you know, and when we made the jump, when, when, the, when we, we found our own success at radio without record company support, that brought everybody back to the table. Oh, maybe we okay. made a mistake. Because yeah. here's a band that's topping our artists, and we're not even putting any money into them, right? Yeah. So Universal shows up for the second time. We sign with them. And it was really, it was, it was really an eye-opening experience. Because, you know, you think your whole life that if I just get there, that I've made it, but that's the, that's the starting that's the, line. That's the start. Right? Yeah. That's it. Like mm-hmm. you, you've just made it to the beginning of the yeah. marathon You're and now you've the... got to figure it out from there. Mm-hmm. The biggest thing that, that I realized is, you know, in those days, there was no such thing as social media. Social media was you're on the road for five months at a time. Yeah. Okay. You had emails, you know, you got the emails from people. That was a big deal. Maybe a cell yeah. phone number. The cell phones weren't even around when we started. No, I'm dating us. But, you know, you really had to be on the road all the time. So we would go for three months, come home for two days, go for four months. Oh, wow. Come home for six days. Yeah. The longest tour that we did was, I'd say, maybe seven or eight months. Yeah. That's with intense. no breaks. Yeah. You know, and when you're swinging, um, when you're lucky enough to be actually, you know, making money and being successful in the industry, then you really have to be on the road. That's all changed dramatically. We took a hiatus after our third album. We took time off. We yeah, it was like what, 2004 or whatever, right? Or right? Yeah, we Somewhere took a there. significant amount of time. We, we've been so committed to our career and so committed to being gone in that cycle of record, tour, come home, record, tour, that whole thing. Yeah. That we decided we came home for a couple of months and we, we realized how much we were missing out on the most important things in life, right? Mm-hmm. Way more important than what we were doing. Yeah. So we stayed at home for an extended period of time. And then we got the bug again. We put in our best album out, in my opinion, it was something beautiful. And we took it. It was almost like we came out of a coma and the world had changed so dramatically because <laughs> by the time we went back to the industry, not only were we significantly older and that unfortunately makes a difference in, in the eyes of, you know, the, the music industry, yeah. But everything had changed, right? It was all social media driven, right? It's all streaming. It's yeah. all, you know, when we were coming up, you had to sell 250,000 copies, hard copies. Remember yeah. CDs? Yeah, I know, right? Sell <laughs> you had to sell 250,000 of those at 1395 to 1495 a pop. Imagine that these days. Wow. Yeah, no way. Right? You, you know what I mean? That was to get a second contract, right? And the only way that you're going to do that, and I'm telling you guys, we were, we had backpacks everywhere we went with CDs and our, you know, it was, it was guerrilla style, even though oh, we yeah. were touring and playing huge shows and constantly moving, mm-hmm. I'm selling CDs every chance I get because they all have to, you have to get up to this magic 
number of 250,000. Yeah, you got that code on you your know? CD, so whenever you sell one, it, it registers but, that oh, it's sold and everything. Yeah, absolutely. But and you know what? So, I'm just going to say that's indicative of the time of what was so brilliant is that you bought a record. You didn't buy – I mean I didn't buy a lot of 45s. I mean I bought a record and listened to the whole record you know, of a band. And right. the fact that there was no cell phones, interpersonal relationships were better then. People don't want, even want to talk now. They want to text you. And they want to talk in like little sound bites. So I think the best of, you know, when you guys started, I don't think, I don't think the world will see a better time than, than what that was, in my opinion. You know, I, think it was, you know, I, I, th I think it was definitely the golden era. Uh-oh, we Especially, lost. There he is. He's back. Especially in my little hometown of Sacramento, California, we literally we 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 had our own little Seattle moment for a while. We had we had Cake, the Deftones, Papa Roach, Tesla, Oleander, oh, yeah. a, lot a great, handful of a lot other of great bands. bands. Yeah, yeah, that and it was like this. It was this vibrant, amazing little scene that we happened to be a part of, and then we happened to like jump to shark and 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 actually you know get that opportunity to 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 become professional musicians, not just local artists and um and it was an amazing experience but it, it's also event horizon dude because you get out there and you know you don't come back the same because life is never the same when when you're spending that much time solely myopically devoted to that very routine lifestyle of play a show get in the bus go yeah well you were you were wanting to say so get in there will yeah so you know, Tom and I have talked a lot about travel, like travel in the current days, being away from family. When we usually think about bands touring, rock bands touring, playing in front of big crowds, you really think about it from, a, you know, it's almost like a fantasy land type of, of imagery that you have. And so playing shows, did that high, was that, was that offset by the fact that you're, missing your kids and milestones of your kids developing and those sorts of things like how how did that play out well it depends on your personality and depends on how you're built you know and for me i realized quickly that i'm not necessarily built for being away from the found like my my foundations right for long periods of time for me my family is my foundation right and it was it was all fun and games at first you know the first time we're gone for four months and it's cool because you got nothing to do for 23 hours a day yeah. except for what you want to and then you play a show and it's the greatest thing on uh, there's no feeling in the world like being on a stage in front of 100 people or 25,000 people or 250,000 people and you're commanding that opportunity and for me it was it was kind of the only time in the day when the world made sense, right? Is when I'm on that stage, right? Everything else, it's kind of like, mm -hmm. it's the same thing that I get at jujitsu, especially at Gracie Barra headquarters. You know, we talk about that all the time, Will, where you just show up and it's like a celebration because you survived whatever was going on that day. And as soon as you walk through that door, like stepping on that stage, it's all gone. The, the only thing that matters is what's going on right there. You're completely yeah. in the moment. You know what I mean? And you're able to carry that that joy with you when I walk off the stage, especially if it's a great show, but even if it's not a great show, you know, but eventually 
on the road in that lifestyle for a guy like me, you know, it definitely, it definitely took its toll on me. You know, um, it, the, the longer that I'm away from home, uh, the harder I have to work to find, you know, um, the joy in the everyday and complete transparency. I don't mind saying it. I was the poster child for, for, for those guys that they can't deal with life on the road. And, and, you know, I, 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 I ended up being one of those guys that developed a, a really unhealthy drinking habit. And, you know, and that was kind of how I got, you know, that's kind of towards the end, that's kind of how I survived on the road, you know? Um, but it's this crazy rare air that very few people get to experience. So on one hand, it's like this privileged experience that you just can't describe to people unless they've done it. And then at the same time, it's this miserable, horrible lifestyle that just kind of drains every bit of joy out of you from time to time. If you're a guy like me, because you're away from the people that matter the most. And I love my guys in the band, but I'm in a rolling submarine with them for yeah. 22 hours a day. What, That's what like being... That's what like are being the... in Will Woo's, Will Woo's side control. Imagine being in Will Woo's side control for like six hours at a time. You would not be good, you, man. You know? would not be good. <laughs> no, white, belt, white belts never get to side control top, so I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, right, hours. Will. <laughs> We're not buying have, that, man. I just want a follow-up question off what you're saying about um, you turning to alcohol. Is one of the things that's always associated with, with rock and rollers is alcohol, drugs, etc. Yeah. All and the things I like. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> and you explain quite nicely what what drove you to it, but it seems it goes hand in hand. You just mentioned a bunch of deaths that occur to occur to band or to band uh, members that we grew up and we loved, yeah. and typically All they're the associated with things like that. So, in your in your mind, in your opinion, what is it about the profession that it gravitates towards alcohol and drugs? Well, I mean, listen, man, when I when I made the decision that that this was what I was going to do, I, I mean, I, I remember I I was committed to baseball. I was a, I was a, going to be a senior in high school. I was still driven towards this idea of making it in, in as a as a professional baseball player. OK, but I remember I specifically remember we were doing wind sprints. You know, remember those those first round of wind sprints when you haven't done them for a whole summer and you're oh, on well. the verge of throwing up the whole time. It's kind of like, yeah, you know what I mean? And there was this level of machismo and I was this 135 pound kid named Flowers and, and it was just getting abused all the time, right? And I just had enough and I just made this decision. I'm like, I can do this or I can chase chicks and I can drink like oh, sex, drugs and rock and roll or, or, or jock straps and these a-holes. I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna go do something that these guys will never be able to do and oh, by the way, I'm going to have way hotter chicks than them. I'm not kidding you. That was my motivation. Yes. So I yes. Gave the, I gave now the, we're going I gave where I wanted doubles. to go. <laughs> I gave the big double fingers. I gave the big double birds to everybody that was, that was giving me grief. I thanked my, my, my coach for the opportunity. I hopped the fence, dyed my hair black, and I immediately started telling, telling girls, hey, I'm in a band. The problem is you can get a date by saying you're in a band, but you actually have to be in a band <laughs> to get multiple dates. Okay. So I learned that really quickly. And at the time I didn't know how to play an instrument. So 
you know, I'm like, well, I better figure this out quick. You know, I was, <laughs> I had always gravitated my whole entire life towards the allure of that lifestyle. I mean, I, I always had, dude. I mean, it's just, it's just something that I can trace back to being a kid and going, yeah, I want to do that. I, I, I just, then I can't I, then find I, a thing wrong I with that. I, could. <laughs> I cannot find a thing wrong with that. That. I think and, that's why you know people gravitate towards pursuing music is the even like the whole like you know getting pretty girls and the glitz and the glamour. But a lot of it appeals to I think a lot of people just based on the fact that you know you're you're with your you know your friends that you play music with, and you're going to these cities and places you've never been to playing music that you like playing and everything. And and yeah. to me that was the appeal was just to you know you know see different cities meet different people and play the music that i like to play and everything and to make money out of that and to make it a career i was like sign me up let's go oh would dude, you, if, would I, you, if i would... if i got paid in booze i'm good <laughs> i mean that was me at the time i just wanted i just wanted nothing to do except for be that guy on a stage i just wanted you know what i mean i yeah. there's if you've seen the movie almost famous it's 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 very kind of accurate to where I my headspace was I just wanted to be that guy you know I wanted I wanted to do it so there's a culture associated with it is we talk about PEDs when we're talking about M MMA and jiu-jitsu and or whatnot is would you say it's the PEDs for the music industry does it make you better at what you do from a creative standpoint or whatever it may absolutely be? For, for me absolutely at the time absolutely I, I i i will tell you that everything that i wrote at that time i was i wrote under the influence and it was see there's a tipping point with with chemicals right and it wasn't just drinking it was other things but there's a tipping point i'm in AA, right i got 12 years of sobriety and and, and i'm proud of that but there's an old saying and it works until it doesn't work right drugs now it works till it doesn't work and for me it was it was it was incredibly productive right at least i thought at least well i mean it was because i mean i i, I wrote four albums worth of material pretty much under the influence while i was writing but beyond the creative aspect okay at a, at a certain point even the even the creativity started the the quality of it started trailing off because I required more and more of what I needed on that side of the fence to get to that certain level that I was used to. So it's a give and take, right? It started out, it started out, yeah, this is going to be great. This is going to motivate me to get more creative. It's that trap, right? That worked for me. But then at a certain point, especially when we got on the road, it just became, guys, I don't mean to bring it down, but if I'm going to be real with you, it got to the point where the shows that I loved the most became an inconvenience because it was an interruption for my goal, which was pretty much to be under the influence all day long. <laughs> and I can, but, no, I can, I can, I, it's funny as it sounds, I can specifically remember playing a show in Philadelphia at the Spectrum. Dude, I'm playing the Spectrum, right? 25,000 people by the, I, I'm counting the songs towards the end of the show because all I can think about is that I can't wait to get back to the hotel so that I can finish off whatever I had in mind for oh, the night, right? And I'm literally waving goodbye to an, in, an insane crowd that's, that, that's thrilled to see us. And all I can think is, good night, I gotta get to the hotel room. 
and and I did. And of course, and of course I did what I do and, you know, and it was a big mess and, you know, people are having to wake me up to do the next thing. And all I'm saying is that, yes, it starts out that way, but like anything that's addictive, right. It just starts becoming destructive. And for me, it, it did that. And, and, um, you know, we talk about people in the industry that succumb to those lives, that kind of lifestyle. Look at, look at Eddie Van Halen, for example, he, he chain smoked forever. We might want to consider that maybe the fact that he smoked and in, well into his 60s might have contributed to the fact that he had throat cancer. Well, maybe, maybe not. Well, and relative to the parting, Tom, if you look at somebody like, okay, I don't think uh, having some drinks and some drugs is foreign to Keith Richards and Mick Jagger, but yet the level that Brian Jones was parting at was too much. So well, much that but, they were like, you need to leave the band. You know, not- yeah, but DJ, it, the, the problem is it affects people differently, right? Everybody's affected differently. Some people are highly functional. Some people aren't even alcoholics. Just They can drink a case of beer and not necessarily be an alcoholic. Right. It really depends on, on, on what happens to you and what happens around you when you go there. And for me, um, wow, we're getting dark. But let me just tell you this, dude. I have literally played shows that I don't remember. I blacked out. I, I mean, I, I don't remember playing in Hamburg, Germany, but apparently we did, and it was a really good show. <laughs> and someone has a recording of it, so I know it happened. <laughs> Dude, I remember waking up in a hotel room and looking over, and there's a bottle of Jägermeister with maybe an inch left, and I'm like, where am I? Like, literally, what city am I in, right? And it turns out we played an entire show, a whole hour-long set. Oh, apparently, it was crazy. a pretty good show. <laughs> but I don't remember it. So... You know, it's just, it's one of those things, man. And when it comes to recovery and when it comes to who survives, it's really, it's a grace to God thing. I don't mean to go there, but like, there's no other go way there, to man. describe it, dude. Go there. Yeah. There's no other way to describe it. I mean, I'm very fortunate because I, I, I got it. I tried to get sober for many years on the road. It was impossible because I was on the road. And then when I pulled myself off the road, I had an opportunity to, to, to figure out what was the most important thing to me. That was like my breathing space that I needed to go, oh, wait a second. I don't have to do that anymore. Cool. Because this is really what I wanted to do anyway. And there's a big, beautiful world of things that are worth my attention. And I was lucky, dude, because some of the people that I was ripping and running with that were on the road have died. Mm-hmm. Some of them are still ripping and running. And... Some of them have gotten sober, man. And I, I run into them on, on occasion at, at, well, I used to before COVID. I'd run into them at meetings, man. Mm-hmm. Some, some high-level peeps, dude, that, that I remember when I was first started out and I'd tour with them. I'd go, man, I'm never going to be that bad. And I surpassed them. You know what I mean? It was an easy left turn for me. But that being said, dude, it was, it was glorious. It was phenomenal. It was unregrettable. You know what I mean? Because everything that I had to do, everything that, 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 that got me to this point, got me to this point. And, and I, I love life. Now. You live life. I love my life. And I, You've more seen importantly, I, never like, see. I like who I am. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I'm really proud of the music that we, that we, that we did and, and what we were able to accomplish. Because we didn't have a lot of help, bro. You know, it was really just, you know, a bunch of dumb kids going, yeah, we're not going to take no for an answer. That is so awesome. Nick? Kind of like jujitsu. Oh, I thought Will wanted to answer. I'm gonna, I'm gonna cut in line. Real oh, quick. I'm okay, sorry, Will. Thrilly, Just raise your hand, Holmes. We got video. 
have some uh, I have some background information, and I want to ask Tom this question based on what he's been describing so well about the things that he's been going through. Is you have that where you made music in those states, and then I know you're making music now, and it's fantastic. Yeah. It's really really good stuff. It's different from what you had yeah. done, but it's still, nonetheless, it's still really good music. Um, and I've been fortunate enough to get to hear it from the developmental stages to the finished stage. And so we have an interesting case study here. Maybe the scientist aspect in me is how do you compare how you write songs now and how you write music and what Tell us about the difference between the two then and now and the struggles, or is it easier? How, how what's the difference between those two um, different times? Uh, well, full transparency, believe it or not, it was a lot easier when I was, when I was under the influence because there's a, there, the chemicals generally tend to, to, look, I like the music that I'm doing now at the, when, when it's all said and done, it, I, I can sit down and, and each song I'm like, wow, I, you know, this, this was genuinely a sculpture. But back then being under the influence kind of, um, it just kind of took the, I don't know how to describe this except that, that it just, it kind of took all the um, apprehension away. You know, it just was, it was very much a free flowing thing that was going on. It was a music became a Rubik's cube that I was just playing. Right. And just figuring out a puzzle and, and that that being under the influence allowed me to, to kind of do it a little bit more um, free flowingly. It's a lot more challenging to complete a song these days. It's a lot more challenging for me to to, to finish a, a thought. It, it, and I, I do a lot more second guessing where back in the day it was just like supreme confidence. And, you know, this is phenomenal, even if like most of it wasn't. But I mean, you know. It's it's a lot more challenging, but it's a lot more rewarding now. And I'm doing it for different reasons. You know, these days I'm doing it to leave behind a body of work. And I have this, you know, I, I, I still have a gift, right? So I figure no matter what happens with this music, even if it's just me sending it to you in the middle of the night going, hey, check this out, right? <laughs> um, what do you think? And be honest and, and play it for King and Rip, you know, um, or my kids, that is in and of itself so much more rewarding than me sitting back in the old days going, okay, I've got to create something that's going to be a follow-up hit to that last hit because I need to, I need to continue to, to, to drive my career and blah, 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 blah. Plus you're now a different a... player now. You're different, you know, I mean, it's been years since, you know, from your first album. So, I mean, you grow as a player, you grow as, you know, a songwriter as well. So, and then obviously, yeah, the things that are, sort of around you have influenced, you know, what, how you approach your songwriting. So I have a question for both of I think, you. I, I'm sorry. I, have I a think question. there's more of a sincerity now. I think there's more of a genuine sincerity now, you yeah. know, because everything I do is it, it's, it's very, it's much more well thought out and it's much more, I'm much more present for every moment of it. Let's yeah. put it that way. So by the time it's complete, which takes a lot longer than it used to, when I sit back and I look at it now, by the time I send it to Will for his, for his approval, um, you know, I'm looking at it going, 
man, I can't believe that we actually did this. This is cool. Whereas back in the old days, it was just turn and burn. Just turn and yeah. burn. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, I know like different, like I've, I've come across quite a few different, you know, people and how they write and everyone's a little different. You know, um, I, you know, when my band was in the LA area, I mean, we worked with the producer and he would just like write these riffs that were like amazing. And he would just write them like yeah. right on the spot. And it was like, I was like blown away by what he, this guy could produce. And, you know, we've worked with, I've worked with guitar players where they would sit on a riff for weeks and just like kind of meticulously listen to it and then kind of run with it and then construct a song from there. So it's just different how the process to, at the end result, it's the same. It's the same as regardless of like you're making a song, you're making a piece of music, but the process and how it sort of gets complete is very different based on you know a lot of things. So. Oh yeah, in the old days, it was it was just go 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 right. You yeah. Know, because we well, also we were kids. We didn't have anything to do all day long except for whatever we're doing and play music. That was it, right? So we had a lot of time to focus on that craft and that 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 puzzle that we're putting together mm -hmm. these days i think what's really rewarding about the challenge of writing music is just like you just like dj and will we've got so many responsibilities in our lives that really do take precedence right yeah oh yeah you know and so when we are able to take advantage of those those brief moments where we can find the time to actually get be creative give us the the gift of like 30 minutes here or 20 minutes there to be creative yeah. And then turn it into something. That's cool, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? Then you sit back and you go, oh, okay, cool. This is great. This feeds That's into awesome. my next question that I want to hear from, uh -oh. from Will, uh, excuse me, from Nick and Thomas, but I'd also like to Will's opinion on this. Does the best music that a musician writes, is there any truth to the notion that that occurs before age 30? No, not in my I, opinion. I, disagree yeah okay I mean, not in my opinion okay i think it's maybe a case-by-case -case base i mean some some bands that i love i liked their earlier material compared to their later material other bands you know their first couple albums were just kind of them figuring out what they wanted to do what their musical identity is and then by the time they get to albums three and four they figured out you know what their sort of signature sound is and what works for them and then you know they're past their 30s and they're you know they're in their prime as far as their creativity so i mean but in general yeah i i don't know i'd say i, I don't know i'd say there's probably more artists that were probably in their prime when they were past their 30s but i mean that's that's the generalization but yeah i don't know i think and, it's case by case right well will what do you think yeah i'm gonna say that's skill dependent because i'm gonna i'll take it back to a sports setting and then we can kind of try to mesh the, uh, the performing arts with it because in performing arts, it's a skill, is you have activities like gymnastics, right? Especially when we're talking about women's gymnastics where the peak is in your <laughs> early teens. Uh, you peak out really fast, but then you have sports like golf where, I mean, you have the Tiger Woods phenomenon and there's this youth phenomenon now, but a lot of the times you get your best play is when you're a little bit older, kind of in your late twenties, early thirties kind of thing. Um, so I think it's skill dependent. Uh, there's all obviously going to be this cross section of the experience you obtain, what's going on in your environment in the, in a, 
in the performing arts setting, it could be how you're dealing with labels, how you're dealing with fans, that sort of thing. Um, in sports, it's going to be how you're reacting to important things in the, in the environment. So that experience is going to somehow crisscross with a peak of your physical capabilities. And so, I mean, Nick and Nick and Tom, you can let me know about this in terms of your physical abilities of playing. Like, how has that changed over a period of time? But nonetheless, you probably still have a lot of experience in terms of how you put music together and the components and how to put in, you know, how to construct them. Well, I mean, well, Will, when you guys opened up for Hendrix at the Monterey Pop Festival, <laughs> do you remember? I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm old Go ahead, enough, Tom. I'm old enough. Go, to <laughs> Go ahead, Tom. Um, I think, I think in my, I, I mean, for just for me, um, I'm, I'm, I'm mostly a vocalist, right? I'm, I write songs. I, I've never considered myself a, a musician to, to the extent that I can sit down and play. That was never my, my intention. When I had a guitar on stage, it was to fill in the gaps while my guitarist was playing solos. So I would play very, very, you know, basic stuff that I wrote, you know, yeah, I wrote the songs, but my job was to, to just kind of be supportive of my guitarist. But my main objective was being a frontman and being a vocalist, right? So I was a songwriter and I was a vocalist predominantly. As, as I've aged, I actually think that my voice has gotten better, right? But my physical capabilities have gotten, um, have decreased, okay? I don't have the octave range that I used to, but I have so much experience with my my instrument, my voice, that I, I've developed I've developed techniques over the years and understanding my capabilities to where I don't have to hit high notes or scream to get my point across. In fact, I take advantage of the strengths that I have now and I really just try to amplify those and I try to, you know, I don't know, man. I mean I think I'm singing better than I ever have, which is amazing to me because I used to think that if I wasn't hitting the highest notes or screaming the loudest, then that wasn't, you know, that wasn't going to translate into a good song. And, uh, yeah, dude, I mean, as far as physical limitations, playing guitar, yeah, I've gotten older and I'm not playing as well, but my mental creativity is still there. And that's, and that's really where it all starts. Nick, what about you, man? I mean, being from a, a metal background and, and see, being, you know, and from that scene, you know, um, just, I liked just seeing bands just go crazy. Like, I mean, I would try to, I'd do jump kicks. I, I would, you know, throw my guitar, like, you know, spin my bass if I could, if I had enough room. I mean, all that, all those theatrics I, I loved about live music and, and sort of like aggressive sort of style of music. So, I mean, as you grow older, and I don't know if I could do those types of things anymore as, as when I was in my, you know, early twenties and 36 now and everything. And, uh, you know, the, as far as like the, the endurance and dexterity of, of, of playing, I mean, that's just from, from, uh, just practice and everything. If, as long as you're seasoned and you're practiced and, and the songs and you have that endurance, I mean, I don't think it'll probably, I don't think it will, I don't think you'll lose that just from age and everything like that but as far as like being active and crazy and and headbanging and doing all this stuff you know i've seen older bands that i that i love that were 
go crazy when they're in their 20s you see them now they're in like their 40s and stuff and yeah they're not as they're not as spring as they used to be so i think that kind of would deteriorate as you grow older and playing you know aggressive styles and music but yeah as far as like what you said tom like your, your mental ability and and yeah just knowing like you know your voice and if you're a singer like knowing the limitations of your voice and what you know you can do with your voice and like just really knowing it like not saying like yeah i don't I need to hit all the high notes just to just to be like heard or whatever now you know oh i don't need to do that i could do you know other things as well you know just being more comfortable with with those types of things i think goes with age as well and it yeah and it serves you definitely better you know it's it's really interesting to me because i see so many parallels between jujitsu and and musical creativity right it's all technique right to me it's all technique and it's all and it's all incremental incremental movements right to get to a desired result Mm -hmm. when I'm in a tangent here for a second, but you know, when I was that 16 year old kid, 17 year old kid that, that, that picked up a guitar and taught himself how to play and then taught himself how to to coordinate singing and playing. And then I'm like, okay, cool. Now I'm going to teach myself. I'm going to study songs on the radio and figure out how to write a song. Okay. How do you write a song? How do you map it out? Right. It's, it was like a Rubik's cube that I just sat with consistently. Jiu-jitsu is that way as well. It's, it's this very slow, methodical marathon of technique, 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 and refining that technique. And, you know, when we're kids and we're white belts, we're spasmatic. We think it's all great. We're smashing and bashing. Everybody's defending, looking at us like... Always defending, yeah, not, not defending trying to get submitted. And, and, yeah, <laughs> and, and, and causing general ruckuses. And when you're when you're a kid in the music industry and you're a kid on that stage, it's all about jumping around and acting crazy. And, That's you know, an and amazing I have a funny story. I have a, like, funny yeah. sto- I have a funny story for you about a guy slinging his guitar, but I'll tell you in a second. Okay. <laughs> for the, the only other thing that I've ever experienced in my life that has equaled that obsessive... Um, joy that I had with picking up a guitar and figuring out music has been jujitsu. It's like the one thing. It's uh, it was like when I found it, and once I I started to understand it a little bit more than just being a brand new white belt. I just I mean I've I, it's it's the one thing that I've done in my life that's that's kind of yeah. equivalently that that's re- replaced that thing yeah. that i used to find in oh. in in guitar or awesome. songwriting or how did you it's, go into the, it, how did you like start well, to train like it, so so my son like so many people man my like we we wanted we wanted our kids to be active in sports to have a discipline right something and i'll be honest with you man i just know that with the last name of flowers you know <laughs> you're gonna you, you you're you're going to need to figure out a way to maybe have some sort of understanding of self-defense yeah so <laughs> so we followed we followed um some we followed footsteps and, and we, we put them in um we put them in a jujitsu class man at, at at gracie baja saddleback right felipe della monica my professor and um i would sit there on the sidelines and, and Ryder was so amazing this little kid and he would Ryder. jump in my man and, and he'd give it he'd give it his best you know and then little by little like so many dads the progression is i i offered to help in the class and that was amazing actually stepping on the mats 
in a gi, right? And then, yeah. oh, I got to try this. And then that was it. Gotcha. Absolutely, man. And I was hooked and I've been hooked ever since. I mean, Will and I talk about this all the time. And DJ, I know that you understand this. It's such a fundamental cornerstone of my well-being. It's it it is a it is a jujitsu is a fundamental component to my well-being, right? I can I can be struggling throughout the day in my life. The world is falling down around me. I can't. I'm having the worst day imaginable. I hit that academy. I walk through that door. I see those people, and I step on those mats, and nothing else matters. It all goes away. And you get that challenge and you get that camaraderie and we laugh and we and we go at it. It's the only thing I've ever done where we're high fiving each other, man. If you get a good choke on me, yeah. you know what I mean? You get a good arm bar on me, man. We're high fiving each other. We're like we're celebrating that, right? And we change our body chemistries and we literally walk out of that academy celebrating what we just accomplished on that mat. And it carries over into our lives for like the next three, four hours. Maybe the next day we wake up and all we can think about is, man, what do I got to do today so that I can get back on that mat? Because I got to get back. I got to figure out a way to yeah. keep Will keep Will from getting that, let, yeah, that like... heel hook on me. You know <laughs> oh, he's saying? a beast, man. That's he's a, a beast. terrible, you know I mean? inaccurate narrative. No, it's not. Uh, that is accurate. And I confirm it. So. And I haven't been there for three years almost. <laughs> It's just one of those amazing things, man, where, where once I actually stepped on a mat and a gi, that was it, dude. You know, it's, it's, it's taken the I place in your it. life that music had at some, to a degree, just to yes. a degree, because you still, you're still interacting with music. And by the way, I think one of the places I got that from about the music before 30 was this guy named Robbie Zimmerman from Minnesota, also known as Bob Dylan. And he said, uh, I think they were asking him about that iconic album. And he said, I don't think I, I couldn't write that again. So that's what made me one of the things that made me think of that, you know, that he so couldn't. DJ, DJ, there's an old saying, right? That's very, very true. You have your whole life to write your first record, right? And there's there's so often there's a there's a sophomore slump. Let me let take a look behind the curtain. So this is how it works. You've got your whole life to write your first album, which we did. We had a good seven or eight years to, to write the first album, which was our biggest album. We only had two months to write our and record our second yeah, album. People don't know this, though. You know, like, and I've heard no, this they before, don't. too. They think, oh, you no. have, like, two years to write this second no, album. No, dude, like, you don't. It doesn't work dude, like that. You don't. <laughs> if no, you're Steely Dan, had, maybe, but not most people. Not <laughs> when you're a newly we signed had, band. We had, yeah, we had two months, two months to write and record That's that insane. second album. yeah. This is coming off of the road. So we're touring for two years. Yeah. Right? And then all of a sudden, oh, by the way, you've got two months to record this record. Go. And they give you an advance and everything. Yeah. Here's $300,000. We're putting you up here. It's all good. Go. Right? Yeah. So you've got guys like me that are coming off the road in who knows what kind of condition. Right? (laughs) And then, and then. I've got. I have to come up with you know a way for us as as a, as a collective to to write what fourteen songs so that ten can go on a record. Yeah, and that's the other them. thing that people don't know either. It's like sometimes you write twenty songs and only ten of them make the cut to, to fit in the album. So, so. Uh, totally, absolutely, there's no doubt about it. And so DJ, you are correct to a certain extent when I think about it because when you're young and you've got all that time, 
you know, before emotion, you get to the, emotion, you, you, you build up to that first record because you've had all that time. But another thing is one, I, I agree with Nick. Once you, once you, you, once you kind of age through your career, I think that, I think that there's a marrying point where you start building those experiences again. And then on top of that, you've got the, you've got the, you've got the, the, the skills to be able to harness the ability to articulate those experiences in a way that you weren't able to when you were third 22 because you were just a kid who hardly knew how to yeah Yeah. you hardly so it's like you don't even know who you are when you're 22 man imagine being 22 years old and somebody goes hey you want to get in a bus and travel the country for six months out of the year and not have any responsibilities and oh by the way you get to do all these amazing things like play in front of a million people all, all year long yeah cool sign me up right but you're missing out on all of those life experiences from that point forward because you're just in forward motion, man. You know what I mean? And then I think at some point down the road after your sophomore slump, you just kind of start figuring yourself out. We didn't figure out who we were really until our, our third rec- record. We really didn't figure out who we were. And then we came into stride. We just didn't, you know, we just we just were still figuring out who Oleander is and, and who I wanted to be as a songwriter. So, yeah, it's it's a trip, man. It's it's just a total trip. The voice you're hearing right now is the lead singer of Oleander, Mr. Thomas Flowers, our brother in jiu-jitsu and grappling. And uh, this is MMA BJJ in Life. I'm your host, DJ San Marco, along with my co-host, Will Wu and Nick Kazona. We have about 10 minutes remaining, so you got to get your licks in now, Will. If you want to dive at that heel... Okay, (laughs) you better start like kind of setting it up and kind of you know setting up where you want flowers to be. Single leg X, exactly. However, your entries are your fifty-fifty. I don't know what kind of so what will what people don't know about Will is as soon as you hear a particular giggle out of him, when you hear a particular giggle, that's when you know you're in big trouble, dude. Big, big trouble. It's very Doctor Evil esque. I do. I know. I know that giggle. I've grappled with this man. So DJ Nick, I don't know if you if you know this or not. Well, Nick doesn't because you've never trained with Tom before. DJ, maybe you've seen it before. But everybody has a. I call it a a jujitsu training personality. You can have the nicest dude, and when you get him on the jujitsu on on the mat he just be a total dick, right? You can get a total dick and you get him on the mat and he might be like the coolest dude. And, you know, people will talk about different types of training partners on the mat. I don't think what you know, maybe not know about Tom and I'd like to know where this comes from. But Tom is the dude that is gonna make your jujitsu experience, if you're new or training partner or whatever, he's gonna make that like, it's Disneyland. You're going to have a ton of fun. It's going to be a positive experience to the extent where he's the go-to guy. So we kind of picked this up in the academy. So we, you know, we'll chat, we'll chat a little bit, but we're like, dude, you're, you're, you're Philippe's, you're Philippe's go-to guy for the, the new people. Right. And we're talking about it and it's because, well, that's like the perfect business move because it's a new person. You don't want them to get smashed and beat up. And then why would they want to train again? So you stick them with Tom. They're going to learn something. They're going to have a really good experience and they're going to come back. I'm like, that's a really good business decision. Like on Philippe's part. I second that. I second Tom, Tom is that guy. 
right? And it keeps so, my tuition low too. It keeps <laughs> my tuition low. You know what I mean? But Tom is that guy. I could see. So I'm just. What's the? Is there a? Is there a bandmate equivalent where that came from, or is that just something that's totally? It's just a jujitsu thing for you. No, I mean, you know, at a, the, the, well, it's okay. So, so a band equivalent. A long time ago, it stopped being about us. You know, the 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 get. You know, the look at us. Put your stick your chest out, and it's all about me, me, me. And it really started being way more interesting about the the positive impact that our music was having on the people that our fans, right? That became way more interesting, way more fun to me. And in jujitsu, man, it's like, I remember early days when we were white belts and I, you dude, you can, how many times did I go to you or send you a text after class? My jujitsu sucks. I'm getting <laughs> smashed. I'm never going to get this. Blah, I knew blah, you thought blah. that, but, but he said purple belt and then he still kind of does that. I knew you thought that <laughs> Thomas, but it, there is not there's almost nobody unless they like came out of wrestling and they were dominant already. Everybody's been through that. And your jujitsu is always technical. And even you, t you tap me or something. I'd be like, okay, well, I just got tapped, but I don't feel bad. You know what Dude, I mean? Diogo, well, Diogo described it really well. He says, okay. if you're not getting beat up, you're in the wrong place. You're in the wrong academy. Right. You gotta, you gotta go to a different academy. Well, there was a tipping point where, I mean, there's just a culture at HQ that's unmatched, right? And we're a part of that culture, and we drive that culture. And that culture is set by Philippe. It's set at the top. And that is that we take care of each other. And, 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 it's, and if we're not having fun on the mats together, then we're not celebrating, right? And for me, it's been a lot of fun to work with lower belts and I, it's really rewarding when I can, when it's really rewarding when they do an intro class with me and I see them come back yep. and they come back and they keep that coming back cool. yeah. and they're getting better. And then I'll, I'll talk to them down the road when they're smashing me because they always end up graduating to that level of smashing me. And they're like, to this day, that intro class was one of my favorite experiences since DJ, I started this thing. And DJ, Nick, you guys know this is how many times are higher belts trying to avoid lower belts? Yeah. In training. I, and yeah, I mean, it depends. If there's someone who you, it looks like an injury waiting to happen, yeah. Or maybe they just don't want to give their time like Correct. Tom does. You know, like I, I'm very happy to, to share whatever experience I have, you know, and I don't have a lot, but whatever I have, I, I share it. Which is why I was yeah, in the kids' but, I mean, program. I was, but I was yeah, just, I, oh, go ahead, you know, at a certain point, I was just carrying on the, the culture that, that had been working so well for me. It's kind of like everything else, right? The, the, academy, the academy exists with, with, with open arms for me every time I walk in the door. And in turn, I want to continue that tradition, right? We all do. It's the same with Will. It's the same with everybody. All of the... Um, all of the main core group of HQ that have been there for a while. It's just what we do, man. You know, people come from all over the world to Gracie bar headquarters, you know, generally around worlds or pans. Oh yeah. They come and train at the Academy from all over and they're blown away by, by the culture there. They don't get that at their academies. We're not a gladiator. <laughs> you guys Academy. It's it's really awesome to see. You'll get these. You'll get these. It's a combination of U.S. 
visitors and international visitors. But when they get the, the welcome wrath of Tom and you <laughs> see their face and he's just, what's up, you know, hug, what's going on, where are you from? You see the look on their face and they're like, it's, what's like, what's going on here? <laughs> right? Like, why is, this, why is this guy so nice? This is, it, I'm just kind of chuckling as I'm kind of seeing in the line. And Tom's really good about finding it, finding the new person and going and, and introducing himself and welcoming. But him. who does that? Who taught us that? Well, that's said from Philippe. Yeah, Philippe is true. the first guy to walk the line and shake everybody's hand and say hello to everybody. We should do the same. Okay. I'm a purple belt. You're a blue belt still, you know, we, no, 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 no. Did you, did you just promote me to blue? Oh, are you? I heard you're a blue yeah, belt, he's Will. A blue, no, Will, don't try Will to be up saying he's like a white belt. Will, stop it. Stop it. <laughs> I'll tell you what we miss at the academy, though. We miss DJ. We miss DJ's personality. <laughs> oh, for sure. Well, I'm the guy that's like getting smashed in, uh, you know, when we're doing the, the, uh, what do we call the training where, They'll have like four or five people lay down and you go through the line. What did we call that? Guard guard, rotation. Guard, guard yeah, guard rotation. Guard rotation. Guard rotation. Yeah. And then I'd, I'd get up and if Tom was in line, I might mention something that someone said about a song or related to <laughs> rock and roll. And he'd be like, dude, we're like getting ready to get out there with these killers. I'm literally thinking there are nine black belts and one brown belt on the mat that I've got to pick Ooh. to go get smashed by. Ouch. And this dude's asking me about the third verse <laughs> in that song from 1967 by The Who. And I'm like, bro, I'm about to go have my neck taken off. Uh, I'll get back to you. There's never a bad time to I, talk rock and roll. <laughs> but that's what I love about DJ, right? Because it's like he just brings that to the table. You're literally limping back to the line from, from an omoplata that went wrong. <laughs> And uh, and he's like, oh, you did great. What do you think about uh, Keith Richards' solo project? <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. I just love That's music DJ. so much. That's DJ. All right. awesome, dude. <laughs> we got to wrap it up, guys. Uh, parting shots. Nick. Oh, I caught, total honor. He left total, me. Okay, right. I thought he was going to leave me cliffhanging again. Go no, ahead. no, no, no. Total ahead. honor to, to have you on this episode tom i mean yeah just really enlightening things that you, you've said and everything like that like like for me personally like yeah i mean say my band you know took off and we started you know having huge success i mean i don't know maybe maybe people that i knew or maybe myself i could have gone into you know this crazy sort of um maybe you know, not it's sort of like escapade or maybe if i had friends that have done that you know i mean i've had you know and i think you know if if I had, if I was in a group that sort of became successful, I think I would know some people that would have gone through, you know, some of those like major struggles that you've heard you know, that we've all read about and heard about. So it's just kind of, yeah, yeah really enlightening. And I like the, you know, your comparisons to music and jujitsu definitely oh, you know, opened my mind to totally. sort of, you know, um, comparisons and everything. So, yeah. Tom, Tom, if I can contextualize this like we did on the show, actually, a couple shows ago, Will, Nick, and I were talking about Eddie Van Halen and music and touring because we had on one of my friends who was a heavy metal guitar player in South Florida during the 80s. And you, Tom, are like a 1% of 1% that actually gets to record and tour you were at woodstock i mean 
it's so rare and they're so you're in like a, a club that even if you're a world champion grappler, you know what I mean? No matter almost no matter how great you are in grappling and you're already on your ascent at this point. And I have zero doubt that you'll be a black belt. I like the sun's going to come up tomorrow. But what you did is just absolutely uh, amazing because there's very, very few people that will ever get to do what you did. It was cool, man. It was really nice. It's nice to be able to tell my kids that you can, you, you, you really have an opportunity to do whatever you set your mind to do. Because trust me, I was able to do something that not one human being on the planet thought I was going to be able to do. And, and, and a lot of things had to align, right? It's not just tenacity. But I will tell you this, tenacity plays a very, very, very large part in, in everything that we were able to accomplish. Yeah. You know, and, it's just... Yeah, it put you in the position to, to take advantage of those opportunities. Before yeah, I, like, before I like, pass it to Will, there's millions of people playing guitar and singing and bass and drums. And they're never going to get to do what you did. Think about that. Well, we were, in every we were country, across the world. I don't world, take it for granted. It's un, I don't take it for granted. Dude. It's, it's, it's mind-blowing that they'll never get to do Woodstock or something like that, like what you did. So, speak, hang on. Speaking of Woodstock, imagine that being the very first show out of your little sleepy Sacramento hometown. That was our very first show wow. out of out of Sacramento. That's and we insane. hit a stage at Woodstock. 250,000 people oh in front God. of us, 9 million people watching us live. And I forget Ooh. the lyrics to one of our songs inside the mush mouth, but like I'm singing French. And still <laughs> there's and still there's hundreds of millions of people <laughs> playing music that will never get to do it. Willoughby. One of, the, one of my favorite things to do, knowing, knowing Tom really well, is uh, I get to pick lyrics from his music and just needle him about it. So one, oh, of, the yeah. fa- one of the favorite things is uh, the song, I Walk Alone. And we have this running joke about, um, I won't get into the details of it, but we, because it's the opposite of what Tom is. We, I, I joke that he's really mean and he doesn't like people, which is like the opposite. And so when uh, I'll just always follow up a text in our group thread of, that's because he walks alone, hashtag I, I, I walk alone. <laughs> And so it's just, uh, it's just a super, it's just a ton of fun for me to be able to uh, hang out with him and just needle him with his song lyrics and stuff. But I will say, if you ever are in Southern California and you want to train jujitsu, Gracie Baja headquarters, seek out Tom Flowers. <laughs> you will have a fantastic time training jujitsu. And you'll sign up on the spot. You will. Yeah. And if, and if you're visiting from another academy, you move to Southern California to train with them. But he is like, uh, and DJ knows this, but to paint the, uh, you know, paint a better picture for Nick, he's like one of the, uh, dude, you watch Cheers, right? And there's a character in Cheers that if they're missing, then the show is not, it's not the same. That's kind of like Flowers, right? It's, Aww. he's the guy, the, the warm guy that's going to greet you. That's got good jujitsu skills, but super insecure about his jujitsu skills. <laughs> but I think that's that adds to who he is as as a training partner, and uh, he's the dude that's always helping out, you know, the new person or the smaller person, um, lower belts, etc. Um, so he's that dude. So you guys gotta, if you're in the area, you guys gotta go train with him. Uh, at least now, you probably gotta wait a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> to train you got to be on a very vip list to train with them during these times 
Probably for a little while longer anyway, man. But it's crazy because this guy, um, just type, go to YouTube, put in Woodstock, put in Oleander, and then watch, watch a bit of the show. And then when I talk to this dude, this guy's a freaking jujitsu nut. Um, <laughs> and it's pretty crazy because all the experiences he's gone through, right? He's the guy wants to talk about jujitsu all the time. Wants to, it, it's almost like if he could be this, the best jujitsu practitioner, I, he, he'd probably trade it for, I don't know, the next best song or something like that. At least that's how I interpret it. But um, yeah. the guy's like super driven with, with his martial art and he gives back a ton. I second that motion from uh, my distinguished colleague from Irvine, the distinguished senator from Irvine. Uh, and, and Tom, your jiu-jitsu skills are coming along just fine. And the most surprising thing Will said is the part where he said, sometimes I tease Tom, which is like because, because basically Will lives to tease all of us, every single one of us that know him. Oh, good. Oh, good. I'm not the only one. No, oh, no, good. you're not the only one. He does it to me. All the time. I and that's you. how I know he likes me. Yeah, exactly. You know, so I, that's how I know like he some likes people me. you can't tease. Some yes. people do, you don't want to tease, yeah. but you're gonna tease your you're gonna tease your close buds. I am totally cool with people who tease me as long as they can dish it out and take it, and Will can definitely take it. So, uh, so thank you very much. No, you know what I mean. Like somebody who teases, but then you tease them back, and they get really offended. You are not that guy. So no, he giggles. He and then did, he did. And I know. And then I'm about to go to the hospital and, and get a new yep. replacement. All right. Yep. Uh, so we want to thank uh, Thomas Flowers for joining us. It was, as uh, Nick stated, it was an honor. As Will almost stated, it was an honor. <laughs> and uh, we really He walks alone. He, wa <laughs> he walks alone. <laughs> it really was a pleasure having you on, Tom. And uh, like when the COVID stuff is over, I'm going to uh, try to extend one of these trips so I can come out to John Wayne and, and rock uh, the mats with you guys and do a couple yeah. of rounds of yoga and then uh, beat feet back home. Uh, so, yeah, so thank you so much. We really do appreciate it, and, and, and I am honored, truly, as, as are the others. It's great to see you guys and hear you guys. One love. So for my co-host, uh, Willoughby Wu, Nick Cazono, and the legendary singer of Oleander, Thomas Flowers. This is DJ San Marco saying peace out, one love, and we'll see you down the road.